are listening to Business Growth Radio, Solutions on Demand. This is show 4.11, or chapter 11 of our book, Ever Consider an ESOP. I'm William Eastman, your host and managing partner for GrowthWorks Media, and you are listening to WNTW, 8.20 a.m. or 92.7 FM, The Answer. And uh, what's important is how you participate with the show, especially today's when we talk about what are the, some of the ways that you can think about leaving the business. So if you're going to do this passively, uh, which means you're not going to do much except follow along, my recommendation is go to our website, which is growthradio.biz. That's growthradio.biz. And when you get to the homepage, you'll see Solutions on Demand. Our motto is download, listen, and apply. And the issue there is pretty simple, what we do is we cover things that are related to growing your company. This is not a uh, 51 minutes of talking head. This is if you were to buy high-quality consulting, at least I think it is, high-quality consulting and and, uh, coaching and training. Um, We're going to provide the same thing over the next 51 minutes that you would receive. Now, if you'd like to live stream the show, all you've got to do is scroll down, and you can see live screen, and that will take you... um, to 820 The Answer WNTW, and that'll bring it in in there, and you can listen to this on the Internet, okay? But you need to be here at a minimum because everything that we do, we have up here so you don't have to remember it. If you're in a car, you're moving around, I kind of understand this is going to be a little bit more difficult. However, when you get back in, growthradio.biz, growthradio.biz, and you got everything that you need, okay? So... Now, if you want to actively participate, that is even going to be more fun for both of us. 804-454-1366. That's 804-454-1366. So we can have a conversation. You can either ask questions about the, uh, the subject matter. You can go far afield, and unless it's really bizarre, we'll talk about it anyway. Or you can talk about the application of what we're doing. Uh, so I've got a couple shout-outs, uh, a couple things to do. Uh, before we get into the content area. So first of all, I'd like to do a shout-out to my colleagues at the New Jersey Landscape Contractors Association. Um, We're talking about building a private uh, content network for them, which means that uh, we'll be using audio and video to provide training to their members. And if you think about that, it's a great way of using technology to provide high quality at, uh, at low pricing with a, a on-demand quality to it. Uh, I'd like to also do a shout-out for a good friend of mine who looks like we're going to become a business partner. It's Robert Hutchinson at Deer Park Farms. Um, Deer Run, excuse me, Deer Park. Here's my Long Island coming into me as my uh, uncle lived in Deer Park. But Deer Run Farms and Amelia, and uh, we're talking about uh, doing some work together and building a private content network. So good morning, Robert. And uh, for all of you that are not familiar with him, I would recommend you look up his website, some of the best uh, food products in the area, organic, uh, no antibiotics, etc. but the type of stuff that you want to not only eat but feed your family. Um, also, my partner, Stephen Cohen, I don't know why I'm doing a shout-out for Stephen. Uh, he's the president of Greenmark, which is one of the companies I work with, as well as the president of BCLS Landscaping at, of Ash, uh, Ashland, Virginia. He's in Aruba, so I don't know why I'm giving him a shout-out. I should be in Aruba, but I'm not. Uh then I'd, I'd like to do a shout-out for my standby friends who constantly call in 
and are part of our delivery team. That's Andy Schulich at Metamorphosis Management Consulting. Uh, that is Ben Meredith at Ben Meredith Consulting, and that's Nelson Phillips at Financially Fit Business Solutions. Uh, Andy is one of the best process engineers in the area and uh, a good consultant, but if you're looking to build infrastructure and systems, Andy's the guy to talk to. Ben is an old hand at writing software, and probably no, nobody knows more about customer relationship management software, or and Ben's probably forgot more than most people know about CRMs. And then Nelson's the guy, is the money man. If you need to make money happen in your company, Nelson's got to talk to. And with that, I'd like to then turn to my partner in crime here, the person who makes the show go, the studio engineer, program manager, Tracy Lynn. How are you doing, Tracy? Hi, doing great, Bill. How are you? Pretty well, pretty well. You ready for Christmas? I am. Right now, my husband is baking cookies with with my 12-year-old niece. There are a lot of women who probably call in and go, how'd you pull that off? He's the baker in the family. I, I'm not the baker. I mean, he he does everything from scratch, by the way. Yeah, I'm not the baker either. I'm <laughs> I, I, I'm I'm the regular cook. I get baking done by others. Yeah, baking baking is is almost like an art. Mm-hmm. It's hard. It's pretty hard to get everything just perfect. And and he's he's very good at baking. And so we're making lots and lots of cookies and. We're excited about Christmas. You were talking about organic meat um, mm-hmm. a little earlier, and we went to uh, a store yesterday, and we paid a, an astronomical amount for seven and a half pounds of organic beef. So I'm going to have to check with your guy next time. Robert Hutchinson at Deer Run Farms. Uh, Robert's the guy to go talk to because the, the quality of the meat cannot be beat. And then you have the the issue of how it's raised, right? So, so you know its background, so, mm-hmm. um, and it's uh, reasonably priced. Very reasonably priced compared to going to the store. Yeah. So we'll have to next time we'll have to look him up. So, do you have a crew coming in for Christmas? We do. My family's from here, so we have about maybe fourteen, fifteen people that we're going to be feeding. And uh, I'm excited. Um, we're going to have cookies for dessert, but we're going to have um, beef tenderloin for dinner and also le- vegetarian lasagna for the vegetarians in our family. Okay. We're going goose. I like that. We're having – it's going to be Dickens to the max. It's going to be a <laughs> Dickens dinner. So Very nice. Yeah. It, w- without the ghosts, of course. <laughs> <laughs> the, well, who knows what comes with the goose. Okay. Well, thanks, Tracy. Sure thing. All right, let's uh, let me kind of put us where we are because we're in an interesting spot on the show. This is the second to last show of 2018, okay? And really, in the series that we've been running, season four here on Owner's Executive, this is really the last of the shows, all right? And so, for all of you that are listeners of uh, ongoing listeners show, give me 30 seconds here for newbies, especially people who are listening to our podcast. And by the way, our podcast uh, distribution is growing enormously. So all of you that have downloaded the podcast, I greatly appreciate that. We've taken 2018. Uh, we've split it into four quarters, four business quarters, 13 weeks apiece. So if you run a business, you get what I'm talking about. Uh, season one, the theme was stop leaving money on the table, and the focus was on revenue. Season two was it's not what you make, it's what you keep, which was a focus on cost or profits. Uh, season three, which ran from July through um, September, was winning the talent war. And then in season four was a little bit different. The first three seasons were about what do you do. So these were practical tools that you could apply to the business. This season has been about who you are as the business owner because, quite frankly, 
as my partner Stephen Cohen says, it's all mindset. And how you see yourself and how you see the business will drive and dictate how the business is run. If you don't change how you look at the business, the business is not going to change. Uh, every day is going to be Groundhog Day, basically, you know, the, the, the great Bill Murray movie. And so the deal has been we're talking about what does it take to get an owner to be, think more and more like an executive. And I think I was I'm very well placed to have that conversation uh, simply because uh, of the almost 40 years that I've spent in the consulting industry. Two-thirds of that was in corporate consulting and only one-third in the small business arena. And I've had an opportunity to work with and around some incredibly great uh, senior executives and firms and also had a chance to look at some pretty bad ones. And so one of the things that I've noticed as I work with small business owners is their mindset about how they think about themselves in the business, and they don't see themselves as an executive of a budding 10 million, 15 million, 20 million, billion dollar company. If you start thinking like that, you start running one like that. And so that's what we've been doing that season. So today is the last show in that series, and it's called Have You Ever Considered an ESOP, which is an employee stock option plan. Because one of the things we've talked about throughout the year, and we have focused on this season, is what's your exit plan? How do you intend to take everything that you've invested in this business, all of your sweat equity, all of the money you put into it, how do you intend to get that out? And the case that we've been making um, is that this is, this is a thought process you should be going through earlier rather than later because uh, as you build a company, what you want to do is want to be clear about how the end is going to come uh, rather than, as we've talked about, uh, you're going to die with your boots on, and that is your secretary or whoever. Somebody comes into the office Monday morning, and they find you dead at the desk because you died over the weekend, and nobody knew it happened because you have no friends, <laughs> you have no family, because the business can become all-consuming. And it's certainly, I've been there, so I can speak to that pretty well. Not the death part, but uh, certainly the all-consuming. So now, how to follow along. So let's go back to the passive. Um, growthradio.biz, growthradio.biz. Go to podcast, click podcast. And uh, as mine rolls up here, what you get with the podcast is everything that we've done, we put here. Uh, at the end of every show, Tracy, within a half hour, has the has the um, broadcast ready to go. And then what we do is we place it up. And so if you'll just scroll down, you can see that we do have the placeholder for today's show which is show 4.12, chapter 12, the employee buyout. And then below that, you see a hot link called show notes. I'll come back to that. But as you scroll down, and you can see that every show this season, what we have here are uh, the broadcast. And each one of these are tagged with a set of show notes where you can take a look at the materials that have been um, produced so you can follow along. Now, when you get to the bottom of the page, what you'll see are our, ICO, um, our archive for the three um, – for the three seasons, season three, season two, season one. These are all on SoundCloud. You can go there and uh, listen to any one of those. And SoundCloud has in Google Play or in Apple uh, has a, a app for your phone so you can download that and listen to the shows. But again, the premise behind all of this is, is that you are looking to improve the operation of your company and you're using the radio show as a possibility, as a methodology of doing that. Now, if you go over and click show notes, if you go back up and where it says show 4.12, click show notes, and that will take you to our notes today. Also, 
and I'll talk about some of the other features on our website later on. So what you should be looking at is show 4.12, Chapter 12, Ever Consider an Employee Buyout, okay? So let me talk about what an ESOP is. An ESOP is an interesting animal. Um, It's probably about 30 years old now. Um, I think uh, around 85, 86 is when this was designed. And, of course, it took some um, uh, uh, thoughts about the implications for the tax code. But the idea here is that as an owner, you only have a couple choices about getting out of the business. One is you can liquidate. And if you have a business that is predominantly service-based where there are no real assets and you just shut down the business and close, that works pretty well. Um, if you liquidate the company and you have some assets, you may be able to sell them, you may not. A second option would be to sell the business to a competitor. Uh, somebody is looking to grow, and instead of trying to get organic growth where they're growing it themselves, which has been a theme of this show all of 2018, their decision is, well, just buy out the competitors. Okay, there is an option. Another option is that you sell it out to a newcomer, somebody new to the industry. Um, and uh, what are the challenges to that? If you're going to sell to a non-competitor, then what you have to consider is you've got to treat the business as a franchise because the newbie coming in buying it is going to expect a whole lot of infrastructure to make it worthwhile. If you think that your sales number entitles you to any money, I can tell you right now my experience with this, and, and uh, Stephen and I have been working with a lot of companies over 2018, if you get 50 cents on the dollar, you're doing well. And we just, uh, there was a company that in Illinois that had the, one of the owners buy out one of the other owners. It went for 25 cents on the dollar in terms of sales numbers. So that will give you some sense of if you're selling to another person. Uh, or here's a great option, and then that is you sell it to the employees, is that you set up a system to where the employees become shareholders in the company and eventually you sell it to them and you maintain some control over the business. Uh, in other words, you can you can be the, on the board of directors, but the day-to-day operation of the company is turned over to the employees as the principal shareholders. And so it's an interesting concept. Now, I have not done one. I've been dying to do one. Uh, I know of a couple companies that have done this. In fact, one of my favorite companies on the planet is an ESOP. Its name is Publix. And uh, if you're down south, you know who Publix is. In the greater Richmond area, you're getting to know Publix as a Florida kid growing up in, in, uh, in what we would call Cracker, Florida. And I can tell you right now is that Publix in a lot of t- small towns in Florida is the only employer which gives them the opportunity to be rather abusive in that if you want a job that pays anything, you go work for them. They're not. They're employee-owned and one of the greatest companies in the world to work for. I have personal loyalty to them because not only do I have some relatives working for them, I go back with Publix a good many years, and now as they're moving to Richmond, I'm excited because I'll drive an extra 10, 15 miles to go to Publix over any other provider. Why? Because of the type of company they run. And part of this is that they're employee-owned. And employee-owned companies take over, have a very different characteristic. So let's go down the list here. So what's what's an ESOP? It's an employee stock option plan, okay? It's kind of like an employee benefit plan. And in simulant in many ways, the profit sharing. And by the way, those two things are uh, compatible. You could have a profit sharing plan in the business um, and we've designed a lot of those, what we call pay for performance, but you can also go here. Um, and so what happens is a trust is created 
and the shares are allocated to the trust in the name of individual employees, okay? And so basically anybody that works with the company full-time is over 21 can receive this. So think of it in a way as a 401k, only really different. As a 401k, the investments are into other businesses. Here, the investment is in their business. And I can tell you, when you start investing in your own business, you have a totally different mindset. Most of it good, but certainly a little bit more challenging to run, okay? And typically what you see is companies that are over a million in sales, uh, the owners want to sell, you got a minimum of 10 employees, and your profitability is greater is 200000 or greater. So if you think about it, a million is not an insurmountable number. The vast majority of the clients that I work with as a fractional executive or as a business coach are either there or they are in the process of achieving that end. Um, that's one of their goals. Ten employees, no problem. Um, even in a software company, even in a company where that's been uh, consistently automated, ten employees is not a lot. So what I'm saying to you is that the threshold to get in this game is not very much. And it's a great target to go for. Uh, so, And I'll get into some of the other as, uh, aspects of it. So how does it work? As I said, the company sets up a trust fund and that what happens is that employees are contributing money into the trust fund. So rather than them sending money to a 401k, their money is going in here. And as the employer, you can do a matching. Okay. And so what's going on is they're consistently buying more shares into their own company. Okay. Um, alternatively, and an ESOP can borrow money uh, to, bu- to buy shares. So this also gives you kind of an interesting funding avenue as you want to raise more capital for your company. Because in many ways, it's the same thing as if it was publicly traded, uh, let's say, on the venture market up in Canada on the TSX, or it was traded here in the United States over the counter on a pink sheet that that this is a way of raising money capital for the company. So consider it two things is that one is you're raising money to grow the company. And these, I'm talking about cap capital investments to buy property, to buy assets that are going to generate revenue. And at the same time, giving the, the employees a share of the business. Okay. And that there are some really significant tax implications of this that are all favorable and that there there are some new things that with the tw- change in the law in 2017 that I'm not going to go through for two reasons. One, they're too complicated for the amount of time that I have. And number two, I'm not a tax expert. And so I make it a habit uh, to stay out of areas that I don't consider myself um, the right person to talk, uh, to talk it through, the details. I can certainly tell you is that there are no tax implications that are negative. And uh, most of them are positive about in terms of, for example, is this pre-tax or post-tax dollars, okay? And so ESOPs are pre-tax. And so it's an interesting issue there. And then if you take money out in dividends out of an ESOP, for example, you're paying capital gains, which is a 15% and not paying at normal rate. And the reason for that is capital gains are, in fact, double taxed. But just let that go. So... Why would you consider doing that? All right. So, and um, we're going to not going to go through this whole thing here over the next uh, four minutes here before we go to hard break. So, if you'd like to talk about an ESOP, either if you've done one or you're thinking of doing one or you got some questions, 804 454 
804-454-1366. That's 804-454-1366. Or you can go to the website, growthradio.biz. Uh, yeah, growthradio.biz. I got so many URLs, I got to remember which one, growthradio.biz. And you can find all the information on, in there. You go to the navigation bar, it says podcast. Go down to today's show, which does not have the recording yet for obvious reasons. Click the show notes, and you can see what I'm reading. Okay. So let's talk about benefits to the owner. Let's go there. So here's the issue here. First of all is it gives you liquidity. It gives you a lot more liquidity than you would have under almost any other uh, methodology. And that it gives you it gives you greater wealth without giving up control because how you intend to leave the company now is separate from whether you created an ESOP. See, an ESOP is basically how's the, what's the buyout in terms of financial, but it doesn't necessarily answer the question of what's the buyout in terms of management. You could have an ESOP and remain the president and CEO of the business, or you could create a board of directors and you remain chairman and you make yourself chairman of the board and bring in a leadership team to run the company so you have some control, but you're not in it day to day. The punchline here to the story is it gives you multiple methods of doing, of handling it, and a way of you extracting the money that you put into this business. Not only the money, but I'm, I'm more concerned with the sweat equity because for the most part, most of the businesses that I've been in has never been about how much money I invested in them except one. It's always been about just how hard I've worked for how long, how many hours uh, a day have I worked, how much sleep I can get, how many events that I miss, and it's the personal sacrifices that I want the business owners to pull out, okay? Um, you can sell shares to minimize uh, uh, estate tax liability or defer um, capital gains tax. Um, you can you can you have the option to sell shares over time um, to take a look at future um, uh, share price, and you can have as much control as you would like to have. And and the one that got me because I really think that as we're growing our company, we're going to go to the ESOP route as well. Is the ESOP doesn't stop you that if your long term goal is to take your company public, um, and so you got what's called an IPO or the initial public offering, it doesn't prevent you from doing that. It does not take you off track for anything you else you want to do. Um, gives you liquidity, liquidity, like I said, and um, you can get uh, a great selling price on the business if you want to sell it. And so to you as the owner, there is almost no downside to this. It's almost all upside. So I want you to ponder that. And whatever questions you got about ESOPs, my recommendation would be when we come back from the break, it will four. Four five four one three six six, and I'll see you on the other side.
And we're back. This is Business Growth Radio Solutions on Demand on WNTW 820 AM, 97.7 FM, The Answer. Uh, this is show 4.12, which means season 4, show 12, owner's executive. And today's theme is, have you ever considered an ESOP as potentially one of your ways out of the business? And so where we left it at the bottom of the break is what we talked about what were the benefits to you or the other owners of the company, why is this a good deal? And the punchline behind that was there's almost nothing or no negative to the deal. If you want to go that direction, there's not too many things that would get in your way um, and too many things to worry about. Now, where I want to pick up the conversation is benefits to the company. But before we do that, how do you participate in the show? Well, if you're going to be passive and you just want to follow Go to our website, growthradio.biz, growthradio.biz. Go to, when you get to the homepage, you have some option. You can live stream from uh, the radio station here and listen to this over the web. So there is, as you scroll down, there's a button there. Click it. That'll take you to the um, 820 The Answer uh, website, and you can listen to the show there. Or two, if you're listening on the radio, obviously. Uh, You don't want to do that. Then you go to our podcast so you go to the navigation bar, click podcast, and as that opens up, you'll see show 4.12. And right there is show notes. Click that, and then you basically you have the notes that we do with the show. So what we try to do is give you accurate information that you can immediately apply as you listen to the show. So passively, you just want to follow along the ER. Now, have more fun, call in 804-454-1366. That's 804 804- Four five four one three six six, and we can talk about ESOPs, um, what you think, if you've done it, if you've never done it, if you're considering it, or you can ask me something far afield and uh, unless it's really bizarre, we, we might even go there. All right, so there are three things we were talking about. One, what's the benefit to you as the owner or to the other shareholders? Number two is what's the benefit to the company? And number three, what's the benefit to the employees? So the company is done. I mean, the, uh, to you, the shareholders done. Let's talk about the company. Um, I can't think of a better way to attract quality people. One of the challenges that we have with a lot of our clients right now is that with the uptick in the economy and there is uh, basically more open jobs than, uh, than supposedly people looking for work, uh, how do they attract the best people? And, of course, we've been using a theme, and Steve, Stephen Cohen coined this when he said, there are good employees out there. They're simply not working for you. And so what, what does that mean about your company? Well, part of this is on your branding. We talked about it in season one. So if you want to go back to season one on podcast, uh, on the podcast page, go to the bottom. You'll see uh, SoundCloud for season one, the archive, go there. And on branding, we talk about this, is that when you put together the brand of the company, it's more than just branding so that customers Will you create some identity in the mind of customers? You're also looking to create some identity in the mind of future employees. Um, and so, being a employee-owned company and offering people stock in the company is incredible. And I think a better alternative than 401ks because in a 401k they're investing in somebody else's company. Here they're investing in their own. And so, what a great way to attract people. And then when they're inside. I can guarantee you is that if people own something, they got a totally different mindset than if they're coming in and trading time for money. And so the ability to attract, motivate, and retain quality employees goes up. Um, 
also is that um, you can still do other things. I mean, the ESOP doesn't prevent you from having a 401k or providing other benefits. But the way to look at this is that the, the employees are reinvesting into the company financially, which has given you greater capital to make better decisions about the company. And the employees are gaining from all of that. And now they're going to start acting like owners. Now, what you'll also find is that there is generally an increase in productivity. Uh, why? Because they're not working for you. They're working for themselves. And I don't care um, how morally upright uh, the employees are we hiring. And, and I, I mean, my father tried to raise me with the work ethic of you come in and if you're taking somebody's money, you give them your best effort. And if they don't deserve it because they don't pay enough, they don't treat you right, you don't you don't decrease your production or uh, or your productivity because that's a hit on you. You move on to somebody else who would appreciate it. Well, that, in theory, that's pretty good, but sometimes that's hard to do when you're working in a bad work environment, not making any money, and you know that the people in charge of it are taking advantage of you. Here, nobody's taking advantage of anybody because if I'm working harder, I'm hitting my own money, and uh, I'm making my own money. And also is that if you take a look at this in terms of group dynamics is that I become less tolerant of slackers. I, I become less tolerant of people who are coming in and going through the motions. And so instead of the first-line supervisor or the managers or the owner being in a position where you got to put all the heat on people for failure to perform, they're getting heat internally because they're affecting each other's checks. So you get an, you get an environment that's much more directed at achievement than, say, uh, getting along and being friends. Uh there is some reduction in corporate taxes. Uh, now, I said before the break, I'm not going to go into that, but trust me, um, tax-wise, it's pretty good. It increases the cash flow of the company, obviously. Um, it it allows you to kind of, for the company, and again, as you're thinking about long-term, is the company, it retains its I- identity and its independence because as a ESOP, you don't really have to sell it. The employees own part of it. You determine how much they own. Um, you know, so you own 51% uh, or your family owns 51% and you sell 49% of the stock. So you still have controlling interest. So it just gives you a multitude of things that you can do. Um, if uh, if it's you're in an S corporation and uh, the tax laws, the tax changes in 2017 haven't changed this. If you're an S corporation, uh, uh, the shares owned by the ESOP don't pay any taxes. Okay. Uh, there's no disruption to customer relationships because as you've been bought out, the company is still is functioning. In fact, you you have uh, you have the option of not even broadcasting that this is employee owned because there you know when you when you say hey we're selling the company a lot of your best customers get a little bit nervous going well what happens if you go away all right um, elegant way to spin your business into something else. And that uh, the other thing is, is that typically with a sale, management's attention is now diverted because not only do they have to do some kind of interesting things uh, to justify the ex- their uh, existence, they're all worried about their jobs. And so huge upside for the company, almost no downside. Uh, now, the benefit to the employees, okay? Um, I've looked at a couple studies uh, over the last couple of days getting in preparation for the stu- uh, show. And what I found was, on average, uh, that the retirement nest egg of employees who work in companies with ESOPs is two and a half times that of people non-ESOPs, so basically 250%. 
So think about that for a second. If you are an employee of a company and I'm talking about increasing the amount of money you have for retirement by 250%, uh, that is a huge, huge motivator because understand is that in the, in the world of HR is that salary is a hiring tool. Salary won't get you more performance. Salary doesn't get you longevity. Uh, benefits get you retention and longevity, which this is. And then if you want performance, you've got to pay for it like you do for sales and sales commissions. And we, I know we did at least two shows in season three on the idea of treating everybody in the organization as a salesperson. And the reason for that is uh, that, you know, salespeople work a little bit harder because they control the size of their checks. Well, here we go. We have not necessarily controlling the size of somebody's check, but we have somebody who's now controlling the size of their nest egg. Um, this also pr- promotes smooth managerial uh, succession because, you know, if you sell the company, you may be bringing in a whole bunch of outsiders in who don't understand anything about the business, don't understand the culture. And so the good managers are staying here, and I would think in a, in a company that's employee-owned, the bad managers also go away, Okay. There's also, you've really got an incentive to think long-term. You're not, you're not trading time for money. You're not just here. You're taking a look at the business saying, um, where do I want this company to be in 10 years and what's my contribution? Now, one of the things that this requires is then we talked about this in season two on measurement, and we talked about it in season three on pay for performance, and that is, this really requires you to put together an effective management skeleton for the company, all right? And what that means is that I have to come up with how do we measure performance in the business and then give everybody in the company line of sight. Line of sight meaning that where, it, where I work, the company may have five or six business objectives. I affect two of those. How do I affect those two of those? What do those bogeys look like at my level? And so I'm being driven to do that. Now, in a pay-for-performance system is that we figured out how to, if it's, let's say, the trend on that should go down, like we're going to reduce uh, scrap rate. Then as I reduce scrap rate, I get more money. Or if the trend line goes up where we're measuring quality differently and we say as quality goes up, we're going to pay a little bit more, fine. But I have now the ability to affect that. Well, the same thing happens here, only now I can take a look at the top line numbers, which a lot of employees don't care about, because if you say, well, you know, the company hasn't grown, uh, only grew 5% in revenue and only grew 1% in profitability, most employees are like, yeah, okay, whatever, because that's not my money. But now I can not only focus in on the bogeys that are important at their level, I can focus on the top level stuff, the same thing as an owner that I'm concerned with, because they are too. And they're going, hey, why is profitability down? Now, let me talk about the downside to this, it's really an upside, but it is, it's perceived as a downside, is that I start getting asked really interesting questions by my employees. They're going to start questioning some of the management decisions. And so just be prepared for that because if they're owners and you decide that you're going to go out and you're going to spend uh, half a million dollars on a piece of equipment, be prepared to be questioned on that piece of equipment. Now, most employees don't have the, the level of sophistication I'm talking about, like if you were to pitch this to an executive team. But let me tell you what happens in a large corporation if I go in and let's say I run a division and I want to spend money. 
And I want you to keep this in mind because this is the explanations you're going to have to make. And so the first thing I'm going to be asked by the executive team who are acting like venture capitalists, so when I come in for this proposal, they don't have a ton of money uh, to fund everybody. So they've got to make a decision of all of us at this uh, vice president level who are coming in with these proposals, which one they want to fund. So the first thing you want to know is, obviously, how much, what is it going for, Third thing they want to know is what, what, what's the payback period? In other words, when are we going to get our money out of this? All right. Then the next question they're going to ask, how much? what's the return over the life cycle of that piece of equipment? So let's say I'm going to buy half a million dollars, a uh, machine that costs half a million dollars, and I estimate that it, the impact it's going to have on production is such that the payback period is eight months, and this machine has a 10-year Lifespan, so basically nine years of that will be producing revenue, and so it's going to give us uh, basically a eight to one return on the money we invested. Okay, they're probably going to fund that, as opposed to if I came in and I said, well, it's going to take two years to pay us back, and it has a five year life cycle, so over the three years we'll have a two to one return. That's probably not going to get funded, but it's going to be the same thing with the employees. They're not going to ask the questions that way, but what they're going to want to know is, okay, we buy that piece of equipment. What is it going to do for us? And so you've got to be prepared to say, okay, here's the reason we bought it, um, and it's going to take us eight months to pay for it, but then over the term that we're going to use it, it's going to give us a multiple of three to one. So it's going to produce uh, a million and a half dollars over the next three years after we pay it off. Okay. That's a different conversation. Now, I don't know about you. I like those conversations with my employees, even if it's difficult at the moment and I get a little annoyed about having my decisions questioned. Think about what's going on here. I got people who are treating the business like its own, like, like it's their own business. Um, without uh, slamming anybody, I created a consulting operation within another company um, about two de- decades ago. And we had a major falling out. And the reason we had a falling out and why I departed that company had to do with the fact is that I cared more about their business than they did. And why was that? Because I was being paid on margin. I was also building something that we were a family run company and they were going, they were, they did not want to give up any control. Uh, by the family. So what we were proposing is something that resembles an ESOP where we were going to spin this off and that the family was going to own 51% of it, and uh, we four partners were going to split the remaining dollars. And so we'd all have a piece of this business. So how are we running this company? We're running this thing tight. We're making good decisions for the most part. We're looking at gross margins. We're looking at cost. But we're also looking at the parent company, Go look at the decisions that they're making. And finally, it came to a head when the president and I went at each other. Um, and I mean um, kind of, it, it, if I use my father's language, hammer and tong, where we went at each other one night over scotch at a bar. Now, it didn't get physical, but it got heated, and I realized I had to leave the company because, one, is that they did not like to be questioned about how they were making decisions. And number two, they couldn't defend any of the decisions. They were fundamentally stupid, um, if you're looking at it strictly from a business perspective. Now, it's a family-run company, and so what does that mean? They can run it any way they want, and that's truth. If it's your company, um, Nobody has the right to tell you how to run it but you. People can offer advice. You can pay attention to it. But ultimately, it falls down on you. And an employee-owned company, on the other hand, you've got shareholders. 
And so maybe you're not going to treat them like, um, let's say, two of you own a company or three of you own a company. They're not going to be at that level, but they're going to ask the same questions. I personally think, just me talking, I would love to have those conversations with my employees because you know what? Two things will happen. One is I get to educate them on the business and tell them things they didn't know because I wouldn't expect them to know it. Or number two is that they actually may be right. Now, just imagine that. Had employees helping me run the company better. Okay. Um, provide future market for company shares and employees are not threatened by the potential sale. In other words, what they're seeing is they're seeing no lack of continuity. They're not worried about their roles. And so all I can say to you is that I am, I am an absolute advocate for ESOPs. I haven't done one yet because I haven't found a business owner who is ready for it, and there's a number of reasons uh, why they're not ready for it. But I've got to think that if you are if you own a company and you're looking down the road and you're saying, okay, where are we going to be in 10 years, I believe that uh, this has to be considered uh, part of where you go. And there is uh, there are two organizations out there to do this that are pretty good, that if you want to talk, talk to them, just do a Google Bing, uh, Bing search on ESOP, ESOP. I think it's ESOP.org. And I think the other one is ESOPassociation.com. But you can find them and really do some homework and research into this because I think it's a great option for raising money. Because if you think about this and you take what we we talked about all of season two, season two was focused on cost and profit. And one of the subplots of those 13 shows is look at your company as a bank. And the point of that was that we're wasting money all over the place because we're not looking at it the right way. And so if we got our accounts payable under control, we got our accounts receivable under control, we got a production process under control, we got turnover under control, that's all money that's coming out of margin. If we can find those dollars, we can increase our margin without spending a penny. So we can finance improvements in the business without spending outside dollars. Well, here's add this uh, show to that conversation because now what I have instead of going to the bank and having to you know dance for dollars there or dance for peanuts with the bank to come up with some sort of lending scheme that I can live with and now I can raise money internally and so suddenly I have the money to fund my business and I haven't had to go to anybody and it's really important if you're thinking about long term and like we are we intend to take GrowthWorks uh, public with an IPO. Um, now, here's what I learned from doing a couple of these. And that is you can only, by the third round of financing, you can only survive two rounds of financing. And so, for example, what happens in most companies, they go to two rounds of angel investors. And angel investors are people who come in for a high percentage of the business and a high return. They're willing to give you money. Um, and it's a risk. So what they're doing is they're basically underwriting risk. Then at the point where you've got to, let's say you're at $50 million and you're ready to take the company public, um, then you have to go through the whole venture capital process. Well, at the end of that third round, which would represent the third round, as the owner, um, you don't have a controlling interest in the company. In fact, you may not have double-digit um, interest in the company. And so if your plan is to eventually take your company public, my recommendation is the less financing you can do before the IPO, the better. 
And um, if you can, if you can use the company as a bank to fix everything that's wrong, and then number two, build an employee stock option plan where the employees are investing some of their payroll back into the company to grow the company, then you may find yourself at fifty million and never have any financing other than a line of credit to smooth out cash flow. And boy, does that put you in a remarkably different position. Okay. So that's it on ESOP. I've, I've pumped that dog, I think, pretty hard. I think it's, um, it's an excellent way to go. So let me, let me talk about some of the resources that are at your disposal. So now if you go back to our website, growthradio.biz, that's growthradio.biz, um, let me take you over to resources. So you go to the navigation bar, and you click on resources, and that will take you over to some of the latest things that we got going on. And so one of the things that we have there is you'll see uh, information, knowledge, and solutions, three buttons. The information piece is our news aggregator. Uh, what we have is we have a newsletter, a newspaper, I should say, a digital newspaper that aggregates all of the issues that we're attending to every day. Uh, view it as, in a way, kind of like uh, Google Alerts, only it's organized as a paper. And so the idea behind that is pretty simple. Uh, we take a look at what news is coming in, and this is where we go to find out what are some of the issues that we need to attend to. And so I would recommend if you're, if you're looking for a newsletter, uh, something that instead of being sent to your inbox is simply you're going to go look at that and see what's hot related to business growth, that would be a place that I would take a, a hard look at. The second one under knowledge is our blog site. Now, you can click that and go to the blog site, or uh, you can go to the URL directly. And this is misspelled on purpose, and that's ownerlife, O-W-N-R dot L-I-F-E. And what you'll find here is a whole series of articles. Now, we were talking about one of the articles off the site, and, and typically what you'll find here is in, in the top left box is the latest show. And so anything where you see on the air, uh, the icon kind of looks like a magazine, is that that's what that's the radio show. So you can see all of season four is up here. So if you want the show notes for any of the shows that you missed, you downloaded the podcast, here you go. Now, occasionally, I write something I think is intelligent. So now if you go over to the one next to it that looks like a scattergraph and it flips over and says, general rules for effective operations, here's something I put up yesterday. Uh, the operating system that we use to work with other consultants and all of our clients is Slack. And if you're not familiar with Slack, you ought to give it a good hard look. It's our operating system. And so we were having a conversation um, uh, over the last couple of days online about what are some of the general rules or, you know, what, what we would call heuristics, but kind of rules that you would apply to organizing an organization. And what we did here is we put – I. I thought about this a lot, and I said, okay, here's the three that I would use. Um, one is expand moral hazard. Number two, keep the islands. And three, nurture risk-taking. Now, I'll, I'll briefly review this. I'm not talking about that article as part of the radio show, uh, other than there's a lot of this on here. But the idea is I don't want to isolate people from the consequences of their behavior because if I do, then they take greater risk because it has no downside. Number two is keep the islands is that the concept of integrating everything and just in time are great concepts, except that 
it gives you no redundancy. So, for example, if a virus gets into your computer system and everything is on one system, then everything is down and suddenly you're in trouble. And then the last one is nurture risk-taking, is that in business, it's not about risk management because risk management makes you play it safe. The issue here is that you want risk-taking in the business, not only from you, but people at all the levels, but how do we nurture the right type of risk-taking? And so how do I build an organization where that's possible? Uh, So you can go through there. I'm not going to hit every one of those, but you can see that a lot of what our thinking is is in those areas. Now, on Facebook, uh, our site is GrowthWorks, G-R-O-W-T-H-W-O-R-X, and uh, what you'll find there is live stream. Today's show is actually there, and we've live streamed most of the shows uh, for this season. Uh, I have never been a huge proponent of video, but in the world we're in, you got to go there. Uh, LinkedIn, uh, William Eastman, you can go to see me there, and on Twitter, um, it's Business Live, and you can see our Twitter feed. But to, but to kind of close this out is our approach is pretty simple. We're making content that is available available to the business owner that's 40 years of training and development and research. And we're making all that available to you, and we're using the radio show as a methodology to deliver it. This is not really a radio show. This is the same thing that would happen if you and I were talking to one another over the phone. Now, next week, let me kind of plug next week as I'm running out of time. Next week is radically different, and we're going to be talking about what 2019 looks like, and it's going to be a totally different approach to providing solutions on demand. So with that, join me in listening to Mark Knopfler as he kind of takes us out. I wish everybody a great Christmas, and um, I will be talking to you from Chattanooga, Tennessee, next Friday. This is Eastman out.